a gamer because I love the creativity and the imagination. I'm also primarily a miniature painter, so I love being able to use my models for something uh, with application. Uh, my name is Allison Sharman, and I am a Gamerati for the Gamer. Crap! I did it wrong! <laughs> Gamerati.com. It's good to be a gamer. VorpalNetwork.com This episode of The Tome Show is sponsored by Gamerati, It's Good to Be a Gamer, Continue Magazine, a gaming culture magazine about all sorts of gaming, and listeners like you, thanks for using The Tome's Amazon Store. Hi, I'm Ed Greenwood, and you're listening to The Tome. Welcome to the Tome Book Club, looking at the latest in D&D comics. The Tome Show is a D&D news reviews and interviews show, and I'm your Tome host, Tracy Hurley. And I'm your co-host, Jeff Greiner. In each book club episode, we discuss one D&D-related book, novel, in this case, comic book. Uh, Spoilers be damned in full book club style. And our book for this month is a bunch of comics. We looked at the end of the recent run of the D&D comic, some... Uh, comic-based Eberron stories in a The New Forgotten Realms comic by Ed Greenwood, who will be joining us later in the episode. But also joining us in this discussion is Eric Paquette and Andy Meyer. Hello, this is Eric. Yeah, this is Andy. Good to have you both on, gentlemen. Uh, Eric, this is our first time chatting with you, isn't it? Yes. Although we've we've talked via the Twitter um, for some Twitter. time. And I, your last comic book one, I was participating in live and put some text comments. Oh, very good. And uh, Andy, you're an old head at this, right? This is like your second episode. Oh, oh yeah. The, the fans have been cheering for me, so I, I had to come <laughs> back. Good. Uh, before we get too far along in this, uh, Tracy, what's our next book? Uh, our next book will be Spinner of Lies by Bruce Cordell. That's right. So that's for for June of 2012, and I think it comes out like June 6th, which is today, at least the day that we're recording. Uh, So it should be available for everybody to go out and get right now. Go get it. And I've already read a a good chunk of it, and so far I like what I'm seeing, so people should join us. I saw it was available for Nook yesterday. I almost grew very good. Very good. But before we get too far along, let's hear quickly from our sponsor, Continue Magazine, a quarterly magazine that talks about all things gaming. Video games, board games, war games, RPGs. If you like games, there's something in Continue Magazine for you. For entire generations of people now, gaming is as much a part of the fabric of their reality as television, films, books, music, and any other form of entertainment medium. Continue is a magazine for the gaming community, the global gaming community. Not just video and computer games, but board games, card games, role-playing games, alternate reality games, and anything that falls into the category of humans engaging to have fun. A celebration of gaming. Everything we love about this mad entertainment sector. Continue Magazine at www.continuemag.com. So first, let's talk about D&D Comics number 13 to 15. Uh, those, those issues wrap up the current run uh, of the base D&D comic, which is an indefinite hiatus now, right, Jeff? Yeah, yeah. They've, they've sort of announced, I mean, as of number 15, they wrap up the current storylines. Uh, and they, then they sort of announced that uh, for the remainder of this year, the only ongoing D&D-based comic that you can expect is the Forgotten Realms comic. So they've sort of – they haven't canceled the book. I think it's been popular. I think it's been doing well and a lot of people want to see it uh, continue. Um, but the guy who writes it is also uh, a busy guy, right? I mean he writes TV shows and he writes for movies and um, he, so he's a busy fellow who uh, has other things on his plate as well. So I, I imagine he needed to take a break and it's a matter of whether he's coming back or not. not. Not a matter of whether the book was doing well. Right. And I and I think we may have um, we we've been saying numbers thirteen through fifteen, um, but I actually read numbers twelve through through fifteen because that's the entire arc of the story, and I don't know what what other people did. I did exactly the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't go back to number twelve. I restarted at thirteen. So. Okay. 
Tracy, where'd you start for this read? Um, I had done 13, but I think I'd accidentally read 12 and 13 last time. Okay. So. So you were pretty up to date with how things were. So what do we think? How do, how do we think about the, the end of this, uh, this arc for the Fells 5? Count me as one of those that, that uh, was disappointed to see it go on hiatus. I, I, I felt that it was really picking up. I, this uh, portion has been my favorite so far. I've been enjoying the kept keep going with the same pace that it's been going throughout the whole series up to date. And me too, I'm disappointed because it's the the last panel of 15 actually announces uh, pirates. Yeah. Tracy. Uh, yeah, I think, I think too. I, I, uh, I was finally really getting into it, uh, particularly with finding, figuring out what happened to the, the love interests that was missing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've, um, it, it did feel like a sort of jilted place to stop um, because I felt like issues 1 through 12 sort of told a 12-issue arc. And then we got uh, – or I guess 1 through 11. And then we got 12 through 15, which told this – I almost felt like it was a bit of a side quest you know, because the other story arc was so big. Mm-hmm. And I don't mind going on a little side quest, but that's not how I expect – a, a story to go on hiatus, you know. When a TV series ends, I don't expect it to end on a little side story. I expect it to end on a big cliffhanger that want, that brings you wanting to come back to the next issue. Right. And weren't there hints in the first uh, set of um, twelve that uh, the next would deal with Tish's story? Well, I think the the writer is very um, adeptly sort of weaving in a bunch of hints of a bunch of stories. So yeah. you're never quite sure which one they're going to deal with yet next. You know, they've they've told um, a lot of sort of they've given a lot of hints as to like Fell's background, a lot of hints as to Tish's backgrounds. Um, so I think we've we're getting all of that intentionally. They're they're layering in a lot of uh, background for possible future stories. The only background that we don't really see throughout the whole series is Bree, the halfling. She's fairly one dimensional, isn't she? Yeah. But, but, just, but yeah, at the same time, she's probably the most fun character. Yeah, I, I think she was nailed in these these uh, three. I think before she was a little over the top or a little under underdone, but I think in these she was spot on. Right on. So the, I guess we should ta- say what this story is sort of about. Um, it sort of follows uh, what's his name, Call the Dwarf. Yes, the and, the, the, the paladin, right? The poet. The dwarven paladin who they, who we discover is a poet, um, and essentially uh, he he's been getting letters from this this love that he's been he's been trying to earn the right to to come back and woo um, the woman that he loves. And that's why he's out adventuring. But the letters he's been getting from her don't seem right to him, and so he wants to go back and find out what's going on because he suspects somebody else is writing the letters. And when he does, he discovers that she has gone missing, and his, her mother. Uh, who's the head of the guard? Um, doesn't doesn't like him at all and wants him gone. And through a series of events that leads that deals with a Kruthik swarm, they end up down in the tunnels where she disappeared and to a evil temple full of uh, foul spawn. Um, and she's there with her her team that it turns out aren't really her team or whatever's going on there. Um, and it's sort of this redemption tale of. Um, of call, but also redeeming her a little bit, right? Because she literally fell um, and was brought back to to her home. Is that sort of is that what the story's sort of about? Did I miss anything? Uh, the giant beholder. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and that giant beholder and the Cthulhu mythos at the end. <laughs> yeah, and the. Those Kruthink things, right? Did you talk about them? The Kruthink, yeah, I mentioned yeah. Okay. Well, good. So anything else we want to mention about this? Uh, it sounds like most of us continue to enjoy this comic. Um, and it's, if nothing else, it continues to have the fantastic dialogue that makes me feel like – it makes me feel like I'm reading a D&D comic. It, it captures the fun of D&D without me being able to see the players around the table. You know what I, I mean? Love- I love the chemistry between the characters too. They like it's a group of friends playing together a game. Yeah, 
I liked how it was fun without dropping into silly. Yes. I mean, they make the jokes that the D&D players will oftentimes make, but it's done completely in character and in a way that would make sense for those characters to make those jokes, you know? And they split the party again. They do that a lot. Yeah. I think it, it goes back to the, the author. Um, he has a, a history of writing caper stories, right? He's, he's the writer for Leverage. And they always, you know, in, in a caper story you, or a heist or whatever, you always split the party because everybody has to be in different places doing their thing. Isn't that the motto for D&D next? Always split the party? Always, yeah, <laughs> that's right. He's, he's just laying the groundwork for the future of D&D. Always split the party. Yeah, well, I mean, because I kind of want to go split the party now. <laughs> well, because the one thing I really like about it is that by splitting the party, they're able to do those stories, like having uh, Tisha sh- show about the egg. Mm-hmm. and things like that that you wouldn't have if you had all five characters around all the time. Yeah, absolutely. And, well, and, and I think that's a kind of – I mean the kind of stories you can tell in a novel or in a comic and a TV series and in a game are all, the di- are all different types of stories. So right. the kinds of things that you can do in a D&D comic are not the same kinds of things that I would regularly want to do in a D&D game. Yeah, I think um, having fewer characters on the screen it works better in a comic. Sure. Absolutely. Well, any other thoughts on the D&D comic before we move on? We don't want to spend too much time on each one because we have a lot to talk about tonight. But uh, we, we've got a few minutes if we have anything else to say. I'll take that as a no. Then let's talk about Eberron. We looked at the Infestation 2 D&D comics and the D&D Annual 2012, which were all uh, Eberron-based D&D comics actually following the same characters. The, the Infestation 2 comics came first, and honestly, I was a little skeptical um, because it was this weird sort of crossover thing that was going on throughout uh, IDW. There's, you know, Transformers Infestation 2 and D&D Infestation 2 and, um, you know, G.I. Joe and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles all dealing with this Infestation 2 thing. And then it was all sequel to a massive crossover thing. And it just sort of seemed like this could get really muddled really fast. Um, And yet I was pleasantly surprised. I didn't see a crossover, but more that it seemed to be thematic towards the story being related to the Cthulhu mythos mm-hmm. in Eberron. Yes. Yeah. I agree. Which I was pleased that that was the way it went because I really enjoyed the stories and d- didn't want to invest in the, re- the the larger crossover or whatever uh, and didn't have to. I could thoroughly enjoy them just as it was. I was also happy to see that, that it wasn't leaning very heavily on that crossover aspect. Mm-hmm. This was my first exposure to Eberron. Hmm. You haven't even read the great, the game books? Nope. Wow. I think I read Same. one article about it. Okay. I have the campaign setting but and then flip and glance at it, but I have not read the setting book. So this was also my first experience with Eberron, and it was fun. Very cool. So so to me, the, the two main characters, they were kind of like Sherlock Holmes and Watson, right? Like, yeah, oh, yeah. I wasn't, okay. Yeah. And I thought that was an excellent... Uh, introduction to Eberron, given that Eberron tends to be not necessarily steampunk, but mm-hmm. more of that style sure. than than regular D anD D. And and the look that that the artist gives definitely evokes sort of steampunk Victorian, right? Uh, and 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 the, and the other great thing for me though is that meant I didn't have to worry trying to figure out what these characters were in Eberron because I'm not. I've read a few Eberron novels, but I'm not well versed in the. In the setting, so I didn't have to worry about who these characters are supposed to represent or what they're doing. I, I kind of knew already. Sure, and I thought that was good. Although I have to say, you, you're right. I think they're definitely they are definitely Holmes and um, and Watson. Although I felt in the in the infestation uh, titles, um, the dwarf, the Watson character was was weak. Mm. You know, he didn't play much of a role. He didn't say much. He didn't do much. He was there to be the muscle a couple of times. Yeah. Uh, I felt like he was really underused. I think he, I think he was redeemed a little bit in the annual. I felt I like so, yeah. you know he he was better depicted there. But I think in the infestation books, he was just sort of 
window dressing. It's like he he could have not been in the book and it almost would have been the same story. Listen, Jeff, all he does is just write uh, the other guy's adventures out in a book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he he's the reason we have these two comics, right? Sure. That's yeah. right. <laughs> he's not yeah. a Watson character. <laughs> I, I felt the infestation ones just trying to pack too big of a story into too small of a space. Yeah. And that may have just been a, um, a conceit of the format. I mean, they knew they had two issues to do it, and they couldn't go go beyond that. Yeah. It, it didn't, in my opinion, it didn't delve on enough into the Cthulhu mythos that I'm familiar with from running Call of Cthulhu and reading those books that I like. They just skimmed the surface of it and went straight into the action, which is perfect for mm-hmm. a D&D comic. Yeah, absolutely, and and I, um, I was, I was pleased enough with these stories that I want more. You know, I wish there was an Eberron series featuring these characters, exploring more of the world and telling me more. I'm, I, you know, I've read the game books for Eberron, but I haven't read any of the novels or, or any of that. I'm not hugely steeped in in the lore of the setting either. And I, this would be a really fun way to, <clears throat> to have that exposure. Yeah. But by the time I was done with the annual. Um, I, I was interested in, in reading the novel that the, that the, this series leads into, mm-hmm. but I, I just don't want that to be my first Eberron novel that I read. Well, <laughs> the the preview at the end of the Eberron book for the novel, that's the second novel with those characters. I haven't read the first one. Oh. My girlfriend's currently reading the, f- the first one, and she's enjoying it. So. So, th- so these comics actually fit into the middle of these two novels, I'm guessing, then. That's what I got her. Okay. See, and I, and I didn't even know that there, that I sort of felt like there was a history with these characters, but I, I didn't know um, exactly how that all came together. But uh, I was pleased with the comic. I kind of wish the the author would continue in that vein. Um, you know, although we may have to look at some Eberron novels in the future with the book club, Tracy. Okay. My girlfriend just corrected me and said that the novels are their own separate thing. So, okay. yes, they have history, but you don't. They don't. You don't need a previous history novel. It, it's it's, it's sure. stuff. Yeah, yeah, and well, I definitely didn't feel like I needed that history, um, but maybe that maybe you know having read the novels would have fixed my interpretation of of the dwarven character in in the infestation books, you know, because because I would have had some background and known his role and how he fits in and all that, and and those those titles or that title didn't exactly make me feel like I knew that. And in the infestation, you, you even wonder why the dwarf sticks around. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if anything, he's, he's pretty severely abused by, by the, uh, by the Sherlock character. You, you mentioned one time we're partners, but I'd say, you know, I'd give up my partnership. Mm-hmm. I'd say, hey, you, you take it. I'm out of here. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've, uh, I've seen or read some other Sherlock similar, you know, reflective, uh, stories before, and one of my favorite things is actually usually to see how the Watson character is able to put the Sherlock character in his place, um, and that you know you didn't see that in in this case. Right. But all in all, I liked it, and I want to see more. Uh. Yeah. And then, are we still just talking about infestation or the other both? We can do both. Yeah, go on. Let's. Well, so the other one, I was, I felt kind of cheat it because it started off it reminded me of Agatha Christie going up against Sherlock Holmes which I thought would have been awesome mm. but that's not how it ended up she was just she gave bad... up way too easily I know <laughs> I was like oh we have an amateur detective she's gonna figure this stuff out with mm-hmm. him and there's gonna be a competition but no it goes right to beheading her see I, I almost um, and maybe it's because I don't have as much of a history with like an with Agatha Christie but but I went murder she wrote I could see that too. Uh, mm-hmm. I actually, after I thought Agatha Christie, I was like, "Well, maybe they're going with uh, Angela Lansbury." That's her name. Yeah, Angela Lansbury, um, who is based on, I think, oh, a bit on Agatha Christie. So, sure. uh, on Miss Marple, but um, but yeah, no, uh, yeah, she gave up way too early. Yeah, well, that's uh, all uh, I wanted to say about it. And, and I and I wonder if. They couldn't have expanded that story out a little bit more, and, and she didn't just give up too early, too easily. I, I, I almost felt like 
figuring out the mystery of what was going on uh, happened quickly, you know? Mm. That, that maybe if we hadn't gotten the sample chapter of the next novel, they could have right. ex- expanded it out. But, but part of me wonders if part of the point of the book, from the author's perspective anyway, was to try to encourage more people to read the novels. You know, part of maybe. it, maybe part of it was marketing, and so that he wanted to have the, the, that chapter in there. Yeah. Well, a bigger thing the, than. Oh, go ahead. A, a possibly a bigger thing about the politics of Eberron that I'm not I'm not familiar with it, but. Mm-hmm. But it was interesting. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, and I felt like that that whole political thing. You know, it was dealing with these machinations of. Um, one character trying to re- reignite the last war uh, and blame these, uh, these other nation on it so these two countries would go start up the war again. That was intriguing, and that was an interesting layer to it. And I, I really like that how much the novel uh, – or not the novel, the, the, the stories of, the, of this comic um, layered in – I mean just the basics of what Eberron is about. You know, a lot of people will take a setting and then say, "Okay, here's the basic concept of of it. But now let me tell my own little story over here in this corner and not really worry about all that. But this one, this story did a nice job of saying, no, here's the basics of Eberron. And this story is about those things. Right. You know, if if the last war hadn't happened, if the if the the treaty that that ended the war wasn't wasn't recently in effect you know if all these different factions haven't formed then this story wouldn't work the story actually lives in the world instead of just conveniently being set there yeah absolutely i enjoyed comparing both of them where basically you have literally two different stories two different more or less styles but written by the same author Mm -hmm. so and and both of them work and are interesting stories yeah, and normally I'm a big fan of of story arcs that go on for for some time, six issues or twelve issues or whatever. But uh, this this storytelling method was actually I felt a bit of a breath of fresh air. You know, I don't mind short little two or three three comic arcs telling these little stories. You know, I I wanted just a little bit more from some of them. You know, so they weren't so compressed. But I think if they'd have gone on for two or three issues. That's probably enough to tell tell this little story and then do the next one and, and continue with the same characters, but telling these shorter little stories I think works really well. Five more pages is all they needed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, except uh, you know in the in the physical comic book format I don't know that that's you can, I don't think you can just say well, let's add five more pages. There's pretty much a standard of this is how long a comic book is. <laughs> physical. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but I suspect that's still probably the bulk of their sales. Well, that's how I got them. <laughs> you got physical? I got the physical in front of me. <laughs> yeah. And I think, uh, what, the other three of us all, all went digital? Yep, yeah. I am digital. Very good. So any other thoughts on the Eberron books, Infestation 2 and the D&D Annual? All righty. Then we have one more book to read. It was Forgotten Realms number one. I, I like the cover, but uh, there's no dragon or lizard man in the whole thing. <laughs> I feel cheated. Yeah, the cover is a bit misleading, isn't it? I mean, covers of comics are notoriously and historically misleading. Which cover are you, are you guys talking? The standard or cover B? I have cover B. Which has three, the three characters in front with guards uh, dying. No, it's, it's the other one. Oh. The uh, standard cover. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah and, I, and I, a lot of digital comics provide you with uh, both. Yeah. I don't remember seeing both this time around, but I don't have it in front of me right now because it's on my iPad and my wife has that right now. So. <laughs> I'll, I'll look at it for you. It's right. I have, I have both. You get, there's both. It shows one and then the other one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But one I of the didn't... but one of the covers shows the characters with you know a dragon and these lizard thing, humanoid lizard things, and and what have you, which of course don't show up anywhere in the story. Yeah. And, and both covers show the the two uh, thieves and the the noble lady together as if they're a team. Right. Yeah. Which which I suspect they will be. I think that's what we're headed towards. Um, but they're certainly not a team now. Not in issue one. 
Now, I found it, I found issue one to be an interesting sort of uh, take on on the realms, right? Um, I think Ed Greenwood um, has some some air, some room to mature as a comic book writer. Uh, I felt like there was a lot of people standing around talking to each other. Um, which isn't always the way I think I want to see with comics, right? I want to see maybe a little less dialogue, a little more action um, of, of what's going on instead of just telling me what's going on. A little less exposition, I guess. Um, but I, I think that might come with time, too. Hopefully he, hopefully he gets the, the chance to sort of uh, mature as a comic book writer and see where that goes. Yeah. yeah because, yeah, and it's, yeah, a lot of just talking, which in comic book you do need you have the art to be able to sh- tell the story at the same time as you have dialogue. Mm-hmm. There, there were a lot of walls of text that, that, that I just thought hey, didn't belong in a comic, but not being a, a comic connoisseur, right? Yeah. And some, com- some comics are, are more likely to do that than others. Um, so, and, and, that, and that's fine, too. Uh, it's just a matter of getting to know what, what sort of comic this is going to be. Yeah. yeah, I kind of wonder if this the story was just difficult to tell in comic form, but I'm not sure. The the multiple people meeting all in one place uh, for a first issue where we don't necessarily know who they are, mm-hmm. I felt could have been a little difficult. Yeah, and I, th- and I, I recall the first time reading it um, actually having a bit of a hard time figuring out exactly what was going on and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, that said, I went through and read it a second time, and when I read it a second time, I enjoyed it a lot more. Yeah. You know, because yeah. now I I knew what was going on. Oh, that's that's other people talking through that window, and that you know that kind of stuff um, was m- much clearer to me. Um, so I knew a lot better what was happening, and and I caught a lot more of the jokes and all those kinds of stuff because I was less focused on just trying to figure out wh- where this was going. Good, I wasn't the only one. Yeah, no. <laughs> uh, although I'm still not sure what the infestation a crossover in, in the middle of it is all about. The eye and tentacles poking over the room. Oh, right. But I, uh, I suspect that's just laying some groundwork for where it's going in the next few issues. That was my, that was my uh, thoughts as well. Um, yeah, it, it is one of those things where I bet you I, I would enjoy this one even more if I already had number two. Right. And typically the way I like to read comics is... I'll save them up for, for four months, five months, six months, whatever, and then just read a whole bunch all at once. Yeah. Because I don't like always just reading the monthlies one at a time. Um, but, we, you know, this book happens to be out as we're talking about comics, so... It, oh, yeah, totally. It, I thought it was... I think it's worth taking a look at issue one just to see, see what this new, new book is all about. Oh, and I totally my, agree. I'm sorry. Oh, my issue is that I felt that the story for up-to-date feel, felt a bit too safe. A bit too standard fantasy, and I was expecting, especially with since with the compared to the others, Dungeons and Dragons we've been having, what this one was, just felt safe. There, there wasn't even really anything specifically fantasy here. I mean, it was a straightforward you know, kidnapping plot. Yeah, I mean, all the characters were human, weren't they? I believe all the characters. Are yeah. The only thing is the curse from the gods. Yes, we did have it. Is actually invisibly enforced. Uh-huh. Uh, other than that, it, it's all humans and all. It's all humans. There's no spellcasters. Oh well. Okay. There's no spells being cast. Um, it all feels. It all feels like it could be very mundane at this point. Yeah. I really like the image of the the curse being enacted. So that was mm-hmm. really cool. In fact, I, f- I felt like it could have used a bigger panel. You know. I'm not normally a big fan of filling up books with massive splash pages, but every now and then it works. And this could have been a, a, the sort of thing that that could have been, you know, a half page or even a full page um, image that would have been really cool. Well, okay, so it looks like um, we really liked Eberron. We really liked the the D and D comic. The Forgotten Realms comic, uh, we're hoping, has time to sort of mature and see where it goes. Yeah. Yeah. That would be accurate. Any last thoughts on anything that we read and discussed? Nothing deep. Nothing deep. Well, we, <laughs> we don't want to tax, tax you too hard there, Andy. <laughs> no. And continue enjoying it, and 
we'll probably continue buying them just to see how they develop. <laughs> Very good. Thanks for everyone for uh, talking about these comics. And we also want to tell listeners that we're always open to having folks join us for the discussion portions of the book club. Uh, so if you want to join us, uh, send us an email at thetomeshow at gmail.com. And now let's go talk to Ed Greenwood. Uh, welcome back to the show, Mr. Ed Greenwood, creator of the Forgotten Realms and author of the new Forgotten Realms comic. Thanks for taking some time out of your schedule to talk to us. A pleasure. So let's, let's talk. Let's let's we, we've we've read and talked about Forgotten Realms number one, mm-hmm. um, waiting anxiously for future installments to be released to us. Mm-hmm. Just tell us a little bit about how this project came about. I mean, there's been Forgotten Realms comics in the past that that you were less involved in. Um, how how did this happen? Well, this one actually happened, and I don't really know what the impetus was because my agent. Andy Zach, who, who is my literary agent for all my books and so on, just contacted me out of the blue and said, Hey, Ed, how would you like to write a Frog on a Rails comic? And I said, <laughs> You're kidding, right? <laughs> and he said, No, 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 no. We're, we're going to set up a conference call. Is it okay with you? And I said, Yes, lead me to it. And that's how it happened. So I don't exactly know. I, I know that uh, IDW, who is publishing the Forgotten Realms comic, had Forgotten Realms comics already going. I'd been getting some of them because I live in a rural area that has no comic shops anymore. Mm-hmm. So, you know, <laughs> um, getting access to this stuff is a little dicey. You know, at conventions, I, I tend to pick up huge swags of stuff. You know, and the customs guy says, anything to declare? And I hold up my comic books and he looks at me and goes, anything else to declare? You know, because <laughs> he can't believe, right, comic books, right. You know, <laughs> but anyway, um, I had been following some of them sort of sporadically. And I know there was a Forgotten Realms one, and I really liked the cover that Tyler Walpole had done for, the, the I think, the last issue of that one, which had a dwarf storming out of a tavern towards you. I thought, oh, that's cool. And then Andy contacted me, and I said, oh, right, yes, let's do it. And one of the first things I said, do you have any preferences for art? And I said, well, I love this Tyler Walpole cover. So, so <laughs> guess what? We got some Tyler Walpole covers. <laughs> It was great, and I'd met Tyler. We were both guests of honor at the PaisoCon last year. Um, that was great, you know, that I could sort of immediately hook up with him and work with him. So that was really cool. And that's how it started. So they just and, they contacted you. How long ago was that? Ooh, geez. That would have been last fall. Okay. So last fall, um, after what, Gen Con time or so? Oh, later than that. Okay. Yeah, like, you know, probably, probably, I'm, I'm a bit hazy on this, but probably midway between Gen Con and the end of the year. Okay. Okay? Because, you know, that's like 52 projects in the past now. <laughs> <laughs> sure. It's sort of, um, I'm, I'm sort of running as fast as I can, like the Red Queen, just to stay in one place, and sure. stuff gets thrown at me, and I deal with it and let it go, you know? <laughs> And so you, that, so you've known since last fall, and you started working on it. And, you, and you're how many issues into the writing process at this point? I just handed in the fifth issue. The fifth um, issue, yeah. Huh. So if there's a delay in in release, it's not on the on the author this time, huh? Oh gosh, no. Okay. <laughs> um, one of the things I discovered when I started doing this, although um, I have some lessons to learn about how much dialogue can fit into a panel. <laughs> Um, I have been buying and collecting comics since oh, I was a little kid. Um, let's see. Hmm. Uh, Jack Kirby was doing the art for most, and Stanley was writing. For, that should tell you about when. Okay, <laughs> Gwen Stacy hadn't died yet. You know, <laughs> the first time. <laughs> you know, way back then. So I have stacks and stacks of comic books, and I figure, like every fan of comics books does, I know how to tell a comic book story. Well, you know, some of us. We'll find out the hard way. No, you don't. <laughs> you know. But this, I really actually found writing the scripts very easy. Uh, um, at, at first, I, I was asked to turn in an outline, and just a sort of overview. Um, but people who know me and my outlines for novels, they can be like half or even three-quarters the length of the finished book. I put dialogue in my outlines. So when I turned them in... Um, the the head editor at IDW actually said, hey, this is great. If we were writing comics in the Marvel style, this would be enough to write the book from. Um, but, you know, could you do us a script for each issue? And I said, sure. And I, I sort of 
grabbed the format that Jeff Grubb had sent to me years ago when he did Elminster at the Maid Share, the short story for another comic book company. He actually, because it was my story that he was adapting, he sent me the script and said, is this okay? You okay with all this? So I just grabbed the old electronic file and said, oh, here's the format. Sure, no problem. And I started writing it. And I found it was like uh, easy peasy. I, uh, I don't mean that there was no work involved. I mean, I found it very easy to write in this style for scripting comics without even thinking about it. So I could just plunge into the story. I, w I wasn't thinking, oh, how do you do that? How do I say that? Um, all I had to do was um, remember to put enough stuff in brackets wherever there was a possible way to confuse something to make it really clear. Mm -hmm. right. So a script of mine would say something like, character one, like Randall, Randall say, says, says something in a panel. And then Torn says something, and I would put in brackets, position word balloon to make it very clear that this is a response to what Randall just said. In other words, that, that they occur in that order. I was being super careful, because I had no idea at that time who was doing it at the other end. I was you know, sending this off into the blue. But it was easy to do. I loved doing them. Of course, whether we get to do them forever depends on you know sales figures and everything else. And um, I don't know what those are. I have no um, connection to that end of it at all. I'm just sitting here happily churning out stories. Now, I imagine there's more differences between writing a comic and writing a novel or a game product or whatever than just the format. Oh, yeah. You know, the, the process of, of telling that kind of story and all that. Uh, how is that different? And how have you, uh, through the course of writing five of these, has that sort of developed and evolved and changed? Okay. Yeah, they are different. It, scripting a comic is closer to writing a TV or a movie script. In fact, probably closer to a TV script because you're working in little chunks. As in, you have to have some sort of minor resolution to keep the reader happy at the end of each issue. You don't want them turning the page and saying, hey, is that it? Is, is my book missing a page? You know, you want them to feel like, okay, we got somewhere in this issue. So I guess it's closer to a TV script. They are different than, than pure prose. And I found that, actually, when I took my original outline, I was doing all the little automatic habits you do when you're writing dialogue in straight fiction to um, make the dialogue flow. Like, for instance, you have characters nod. Well, that's a perfectly natural thing to do, particularly if characters don't talk much. Just to grab a character off the top of my head out of television... Uh, NCIS, Gibbs, the head of the team, the actor, Mark Harmon, who plays that, quite often says, I know when a script is wrong when my character talks too much. <laughs> you know, his character does a lot by giving people dirty looks. or Hitting them in the back them. of the head. Yeah, and the hit in the back of the head, yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you know what I mean. He doesn't talk much. Mm. But you can't do that. You can't do the nonverbal stuff too much in comics, because you can't, if you're gonna, if you're actually gonna show a character nodding, you're wasting two or three panels mm -hmm. of story story space to actually show the gesture. You can you can use the dirty look, the fisheye, the astonished look, the angry look, but it you've got to carry more from dialogue, and you have to know what to leave out. In in the same way that you know, I tell beginning writers who I'm I'm, I'm sort of mentoring it. Um, no, 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 don't, unless you want to bore your reader to death or slow down the pacing to make it seem humdrum because you're going to smash into it with something, don't show me she gets up in the morning, she yawns, she stretches, she goes to the bathroom, she looks in the mirror, she goes, oh, God, she pulls out the toothbrush. You know, no, 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 no. Decide what you, that you can skip over and, right. and put me right into the scene. You know, don't describe everything. Um, and... The same thing applies in comics because the real estate is valuable. You've got 22 pages in this case for, for Forgotten Realms, the comics I'm doing. You have 22 pages of art, and then you have a little thing at the front that says the story thus far, where you get where you recap what's in previous issues if somebody comes to this for the first time. And you always have to think in the back of your mind, somebody might be coming to this issue three or issue four for the first time. They haven't found the other issues. You know, mm -hmm. they may never find them. So you have to entertain them with what's right in front of their eyeballs right now. So 
I have to avoid insulting a reader who has been faithfully reading along from the first issue by saying, and this is Randrill. Randrill is a, you know, the, the tall, thin character. <laughs> Torn is his short, fat, surly sidekick. You know, you don't want to reintroduce them each time, but you want to bring them alive and engage the reader with them in each issue. And the other thing is, we are dealing with three teens who are going to change a lot in this in, the, in, in this series, but what they're doing is changing them. You know, it's the, it's the same sort of story I was telling in Swords of Evening Star and before that in Spellfire, you know. Um, be careful what you ask for. If what you ask for is adventure, be careful. And, and, and what that means is you're going to have Randall and Torn um, torn out of their milieu in Dock Ward. You're also going to have Lady Talandra, who it should become pretty obvious to somebody who has a, you know, a good eyeball at that first issue that there's more to her kidnapping than meets the eye at the beginning. But obviously, she's getting to taste awkward. And I know it's it's almost a cliche that, you know, young nobles go slumming in awkward. Well, yeah, but young ladies don't go slumming alone usually because there is a real, very real personal safety problem there. And it, it's sort of obvious to the reader that all three of these characters are going to get jolted out of where they live and where they're comfortable with. You know, things are going to happen to them. So they're going to be changing quite a bit over the, uh, as, the, as the issues. Um, I don't want to say maturing because <laughs> the issues are following directly on after each other. They don't have time to mature. You know, it's, it's like happening in one day and one night sort of thing, rushing mm-hmm. along. But they are going to be challenged and they're going to, they are going to change right so, oh i guess the one question i had is so unlike novels you have you have the ability to do more some of the vi- more visual uh medium with this uh but i think your artists the artists that work on this haven't necess- don't necessarily know a ton about forgotten realms so how do you help help facilitate that or, or do you well um first of all i send them endless art references which are, you know, um, stuff out on the net or stuff I can scan, you know, turn into JPEGs um, and say, okay, this is what a beholder looks like. <laughs> you know, if you don't play D&D, this is what a dragon looks like. Yeah, by the way, the, these, this D&D dragon is this type of dragon and specifically looks like this in the rule book. So please don't give me a Chinese dragon with a long beard, you know, <laughs> as that was on your, your Chinese takeout menu last night, you know. Um, and, I, and I don't mean to be, um, you know, I, I'm... I'm flippantly inventing this. I mean, the artist is, the artist and the anchor so far are really good. But, yeah, I can't assume they know anything about D&D. Okay? And I can't assume they're familiar with the realms. So, I spend a lot of time saying, okay, and we'll have a, and I'm just going to make up a monster now rather than having one that's actually going to be in the book, okay? <laughs> um, we're we're going to have a Zorn in this scene, Okay? This is what a Zorn looks like. <laughs> and then, then you send them a picture, and then you immediately accompany it with the impression you want to leave. Like, this is a hulking thing, not an agile thing. Or, this should seem um, scary and large and heavy and menacing. Not, this should dance slightly through the room with Tinkerbell pixie dust. You know, um, <laughs> you, you want to give both the visual reference and an impression, and you you owe it to the artist to give that impression, because the artist is going to have to draw this thing to try and fool the reader into thinking it's moving. And because of that, you have to tell them, okay, this is how it would move. You know, it's sort of like the difference between a a beautiful, agile, light-on-her-feet court lady who's danced dances all her life, (laughs) dancing a dance in front of you, and the omen of the guard who's been asked to put on a dress and mingle for security reasons and gets asked to dance and he's sort of lumbering across the dance floor going, oh, I think I know how to do this. You know, he's going to move in a different way than the court lady does through the same dance. Well, I have to tell the, the artist, this is how I, this is the impression I want to leave. Because although fans of any, um, story, saga, intellectual property, you know, Star Wars, Star Trek, the realms, will jump on little details. 
because it matters to them. You know, this is their this is their dream, this is their imagine, imagination, their shared thing, and somebody screwed it up. You know, every little glitch or mistake they'll pounce on. And it doesn't matter who you are, eventually you're going to make a little mistake. <laughs> right. But 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 I'm I'm interested in leaving the right impression all the while. Mm-hmm. Because if you leave the right impression, some fans will forgive and forget and move on. You know, they'll be carried along by the story. They'll go, ah, I didn't think that was right for a pirate, but never mind. It was a cool story, you know. Right. And, and you, you want to achieve that. Even if you can't achieve perfection in the details, you want to achieve them saying, oh, I didn't like this, I didn't like that, but never mind. And, of course, I think every single person who goes out to do a movie about, say, King Arthur or Robin Hood is stuck with that. Or the Three Musketeers. Anything that's been remade over and over again. Because people have in their minds, this is right, for the, and that is wrong. And inevitably, you're going to trip over some of those. So, you know, I could say, oh, this is my realm. And this, I want it just this way. Well, that would be fine if I was the publisher. And I was the writer. And I was the artist. <laughs> 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 but I, nobody, you know, dropped billions of dollars on me and gave me all the time in the world so I can't manage all three of those hats. I can only afford one. <laughs> the writer. So, um, I, I, now I have to tell you, the guys at IDW have been great to work with. This has been fun. It's been informal. We check back and forth with each other. It's been really fun working on these books. It's not like I have encountering difficulties. It's just that we all see things differently, which is why I'm being very careful in my scripts to say things like, you know how five pages ago we walked into this room for the first time? Make sure the door opens the same way. Mm-hmm. You know, Because right. I've, I've had years of cleaning up continuity in the Forgotten Realm. <laughs> so it's now a habit with me to clean up continuity because if there's a if there's a, if you leave any possibility of somebody misunderstanding something, they will. <laughs> sure, <laughs> that's what it's for. So, <laughs> well, and it's my understanding that that's not a unu- that's not an unusual approach. I mean, I've heard uh, interviews and things with you know the guys who write for DC Comics and who will talk about when you're first working with a new artist, they go in, go into all sorts of detail like that, and then over the years, if they continue to work with that same artist, then they can slowly you know do more and more shorthand, and they just trust that the other person understands what they what they want. Oh, sure, exactly. Yeah. But that and, comes with and, time. And the artist started for this book by um, getting from me uh, character descriptions with art references. You know, I want his head to look like this. I want his hair to look like this. I want his nose to look like that. Uh, his overall build to look like this guy. You know, and I would I would grab something online from the Sears catalog of somebody wearing <laughs> something. You know, bats in whatever. You know. And then they they would draw for the for the comic book publisher um, what looks like a mugshot, <laughs> you know, guy facing you head on, mm-hmm. same guy side on, you know. Um, so you compare their heights, builds, and general dress as we as we first see them or mainly see them. And of course, in this book, it's going to be see them that way almost all the time because the the issues are following on after each other so closely. Like the characters will literally run out of the end of one issue. And next month, when you get the next issue, they run on <laughs> on stage. You know, there hasn't been any lapsed time in between, so they didn't have time to make a costume change. So <laughs> you're basically going to see them pretty much wearing the same thing, the main characters anyway. And, uh, yeah, that has to be done back and forth for that very reason. Sure. Um, do, do, have you been given any, any sort of indication as to how many issues you have to sort of tell at least your initial story? Uh, okay. I don't know. When I was first asked to outline, I was asked to outline five issues, and I've done that. Okay? Um, I am writing... All of my writing is going into telling a story that could go on forever. Okay? I'm not setting out to write a miniseries or anything. Mm -hmm. Um, I have no idea how long the comic will go on. Um, And I'm trying, and this also relates back to the previous question. You know, when I was talking about getting things right, mm-hmm. one of the things I wanted to resist doing in this comic was bringing Elminster and Drist on stage <laughs> right away. I wanted you to have new characters for two reasons. It means we can tell a different story. You know, we can go 
different places. If we have to stop at any time, we can just stop. And you see what I mean? Without affecting things that are major, world-shaking, you know, kingdom is about to go to war, you know, oops, and you stopped or whatever. You know, I, I want it to be a new story. And I want you to feel that, you know, the Forgotten Realms is full of thousands and thousands of stories like this. Mm-hmm. Right. And, um, I, when, when I was first working on this book, a lot of the fans were intensely interested in finding out what era it was in. Mm-hmm. You know, is it third edition realms? Is it fourth edition realms? And, you know, at the, at the time, I wasn't allowed to say anything. You sign NDAs, you know, you, you know what you can. But I was thinking to myself, it doesn't matter. Right. It really doesn't matter what time period it's set in, because I'm not dealing with the movers and shakers. You know, if, if we set it 300 years in the future, or 50 years in the future, it's all the same to me. That's enough time that I can change the first names of the, any nobles you run into, and, oh, it's their daughter or granddaughter. Sure. You know? yeah, and I other think... than that, it doesn't matter. Because I'm, I'm not, I don't want to start out in this comic by escalating the arms race to, <laughs> I'm not doing Game of Thrones here. <laughs> sure. Yeah, Game of Thrones is great, don't get me wrong, but somebody else is already doing it right now. <laughs> and and I wanted to start at a lower power level. Because sure. for one thing, I think readers can identify a lot more. And I don't care if you're a young kid and identifying with a teenager, or you're a kid sitting at home or an adult sitting at home reading Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos, you know, those those old Marvel classic issues, or The Haunted Tank, if you were a DC reader, you know, um you relate to things that are up close and personal. You're at the shoulders of these people. You're in the alleyway with them. And they're wondering where they're going to pee and get their next meal from. You know, you're at that level. And I think that's a good level to keep it at the beginning. Because that way, when spells do get hurled around, you are impressed. They are awesome or sinister or frightening, whatever. Because I, we haven't done... The, oh, let, let me throw a few fireballs. It is, after all, the first page of our comic readers. <laughs> I could have great fun doing, but it establishes a tone I don't want to establish okay. at the beginning. You leave that for, you know, issue 32. You know, when you're going to give them a, a an off-pace one issue. No, don't, don't open that door. No, really, don't. You open that door. Oh, dear. You know, <laughs> and you give them, you know, an issue where you go, what the hell happened to me there? <laughs> you know, because it, by then you do want to shake things up and be different. But at the beginning, I want you to come to know these young characters and care about them. Because if you don't care about them, none of it matters. Mm-hmm. You're going to put the book down or not buy the next issue. You know, I, I want it to be, how are they going to get out of this one? <laughs> sure. And, and it's funny, earlier you brought up which era. And I, I ha- sort of had a question in my head because having only read issue one... Um, it could be pre-spell plague or post-spell plague, and, and I have no idea which one it, it's supposed to be. You know, um, yep. is, is that was an intentional decision? Well, yes and no. It was an intentional decision on one level because when I started, the the they asked me to outline those first five issues. I didn't know whether they wanted <laughs> to be pre or post-spell plague. <laughs> That's number one, and number two, I didn't want it to matter. Right. And I wanted, because I wanted the story to be up close and personal and down at the level of, you know, um, because one of the things I, wa- I wanted to reiterate is that the more Waterdeep changes, the more Waterdeep stays the same. Sure. Um, I don't ever want to rub readers' noses in that um, if you've been reading comics long enough, it was like, damn, Peter Parker takes a long time to graduate. You know, <laughs> you know 20 years pass, and it's like, come on, you know. <laughs> some payoff for the people who've been reading all this time you know whereas say a comic like Archie you know until the recent controversy relatively recent controversy is who's he going to marry you know mm-hmm. Veronica or Betty uh, for years the people writing that comic book made a conscious decision that it doesn't age it stays at the same you know and I can understand that and live with it but that's not the realms the realms is telling stories so yeah things are going to move on and history is going to have but it didn't matter to me where it started it really didn't um aside from the the first names of the the roaring horn mm-hmm. noble family it really doesn't matter 
whether this is water deep in 1280 DR, whether it's water deep in 1375 DR, or whether it's water deep in 1475 DR. Sure. It really doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a location they will be coming to that I won't reveal yet um, in later issues, pretty, pretty quickly, actually. Um, you will be there by issue three that would mean that it can't be too far back in time Okay. And by too far back in time, um, I'm, I'm thinking, if you remember the old gray box and where the Forgotten Realm started there, it can't really be more than three centuries earlier than that. Okay. <laughs> okay. You see what I mean? <laughs> That's still a pretty we're, wide margin. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're talking like um, the kid who goes around or is dragged around the United States of America by his parents to see all the sites. Yeah. You know? <laughs> And he gets to Old Faithful, and he says, how long have they been doing this? <laughs> See what I mean? It doesn't okay. matter. But, of course, if you go to the Alamo or a fort, I mean, if you go back 300 years, yeah, it would make a difference in what sure. you saw there. Yeah. But but, but uh, other than that, no, it doesn't really matter. Okay. It really doesn't matter. I just I, have... And, oh. Yeah, no, I just that? wanted to reassure everybody, you know, we're not doing addition wars here. Good. You know. Um, I just have one last question. Uh, you mentioned that you've you've learned some lessons in in the art of comic book writing. Uh, I'm curious, what lesson do you know now that you wish you could tell yourself when you were writing number one? The pages are not elastic; <laughs> they cannot expand. Therefore, I have to keep dialogue to a minimum. People have to do a lot of John Wayne dialogue. Okay. Yup. Nope. One from a horse. <laughs> that dialogue. I have to resist putting in characters who are pedants. You know, oh, good my lord, the elucidation that will shortly dawn upon us is... Forget it. He's already into the next family. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't do that. And I have to... Okay, there's two things I want to do. Two warring desires as a designer I want to do. I want to tell a realm story like IDM. Endless subplots. So there's lots and lots going on behind the scenes. The non-player characters are not sitting there motionless on a darkened stage with the dust settling on them doing nothing until the player characters walk on. Everybody is alive and striving to do things in the realms at all times. So there's 50 million things going on. And, you know, uh, if, if I have all the power in the world, I'm going to be going, meanwhile, meanwhile... Meanwhile, in fact, I think I think you'll come across a caption in issue two. Oh, here's here's a scoop. No, <laughs> you'll come across a caption in issue two that says, "And being as we haven't run out of meanwhiles yet." <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah, so I, I do like to jump around, but I had to, I had to learn, and I wish I'd learned it a little better. That you have to cut the number of subplots you would love to put in. There's one um, that you'll come across, and now, oh, here's another scoop. It involves two characters in purple, okay, <laughs> <laughs> that you will come across that I had to leave sort of hanging, and I, and, and I look at it now, and I think, oh, I had to leave that hanging. Oh, well, we'll get to it. <laughs> and and that, that's because I wanted to put on too many subplots at once. Okay. Um, because I have a, a somewhat of a hatred from reading too many bad examples of it, of the sort of fantasy book that only follows the protagonists. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the this young boy from the farm village magically knows the way to the king's palace. You know, he just gets on the road and it takes him there. He never has to make any choices. No crossroads, no this way or that way. He just goes there. You get on the road, it leads you where the story needs you to be. You never leave him. So you never see what else is going on. You never see the, the villains and their subplots until they hit him in the face. You know? <laughs> and, and although some people have done really good stories like that, and although that is the preferred style in some book lines, and I have written books like that, if I'm left to my druthers, I would like you to see that there's another side to everything. Okay. You know, yeah. I, 
it's sort of like trying to trying to evaluate what's going on in America by just doing press conferences that sure. politicians give. Uh-huh. You know, that that it's fine, but there's you're only seeing one side of it. I'm the guy who was, you know, remember the Wizard of Oz? Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. I want to show you the curtain being pulled away. Mm-hmm. Very good. All right. Okay. Well, thanks for uh, joining us, and we'll be sure to chat with you again sometime. Yeah, A definitely. pleasure. Thank you both. All right, and we want to uh, say thank you again to Ed Greenwood, our uh, author guest for this book club episode, as well as Eric and Andy. Thank you for joining us, gentlemen. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Do you have places on the Internet that we should be looking for you? Uh, best place to find me is on Twitter, A-W-M-Y-H-R. And me also on Twitter at Eric, U-R-I-C-M-P-A-Q. Eric M. Pack. Very good. Uh, we also want to thank our sponsors, Gamerati and Continue Magazine, for continuing to support the show. Make sure you guys go and check them out, and when you do, uh, let them know that we sent you, so they'll continue to support us. Definitely. And as always, if you'd like to uh, ask any questions or leave comments, you can email us at thetomeshow at gmail.com or call us on our biz line, 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E, 919-BizTome. And you can find show notes for the show at thetomeshow.com. And this has been the D&D Comics Update episode of The Book Club. Join us next month as we discuss Spinner of Lies by Bruce Cordell. And I have already confirmed, as of today, actually, that Bruce is going to be joining us for that episode. So that should be awesome. Sweet. Cool. The end. I'm off the wall.